Good morning and Maranatha to you. If you have your Bibles, please mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. If we can agree, that, that, that one, not the song before, but the one, I'm sorry, not the, that one that we just sang, the one before, based on a Psalm 103. We agree on that? 103. You know how he starts that psalm? He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his name. And then he repeats himself. He says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Uh, David was not a young man when he wrote this psalm. He was an old man now. There's something good about getting old in the Lord's thing, becoming mature in the Lord's thing, having the privilege to look up. But the man needed strength. He needed to get up. And he had to remind himself twice over, get up, David, because the things that you've experienced through the living God, you need to get up and you need to bless the Lord. It's an amazing thing. We can sit over a cup of uh, of coffee and debate which psalm is your favorite but when you have verses like this he hath not dealt with you according or after your sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities for as the heavens is high above the earth so great is his mercy towards them that fear him as far as the east is from the west so far hath he removed our transgressions from us his his mercy everlasting to everlasting we can debate which psalm is your favorite but this one has to be up there at least in the top 100, okay? That being said, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, been a great week for us in the Lord. Uh, uh, the old man turned 70, and that I'm talking about my dad. Uh, he, he seems very happy. He seems healthy. I think he's, he's actually contemplating retirement. The only thing he isn't is a, a believer, but it was good to converse with him. He called me even in between meetings. Uh, if you remember my father in your prayers, I'd appreciate it. Again, it, he seems very happy. I don't know if that has to do with the World Cup being on or what. I'll leave it. I'll let that be. That also, we added a, a family member to our, uh, if you see my brother, he's going to be plus one this time. Not weight-wise. He, has, he actually has a, he has a kid. And we thank the Lord that that went over extremely well. If you remember in your short prayers, I know it's been around, but the loving saints at Hollywood Bible Chapel would appreciate your prayers. Uh, and you, many of us already know the reasons why. Consider, con, continue to pray for the families there. They've been hit hard last week. Mark chapter 2, we have our work cut out for us. Uh, we have a total of 28 verses. They sent the, the fastest speaking Spanish brother they can find, and they gave us a monumental task at that. <laughs> However, I will let you know that Mark chapter 2, as I'm fully aware, is not new to many of us. A lot of us have enjoyed the book of Mark through and through. So what I plan to do today is not to knock you back of nothing you've heard, but by God's grace, maybe just refresh your minds, refresh your hearts. Some of the truths that are already in there, they don't need any commentary by me. They just need to be read. And that being said, let's read from verse 1. It says this in your old, old Bibles, verse 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And now you're going to have to help me because I always want to stop and make comments, but I will do no such thing this morning. We will read the scriptures first and then we'll make comments. If I don't do that, somebody hold me to it. Verse 2, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they were un- they uncovered the roof uh, where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now Jesus saw their faith 
He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, my man, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We have never seen it on this fashion, or in this fashion. Verse 13. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitudes resorted unto him, and he taught them. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, or, 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 okay, we'll leave it, sitting at the, the receipt of customs, and said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in the house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. There were, there were many. And they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto him, to his disciples, how is it that he eateth with and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of, of the physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call, I'm sorry, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used, used to fast, and they come and they say, why do thy disciples, or the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is, is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the day will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from, the, from them, and, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece, of, a piece of new garment or new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that fitteth it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine does burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into the new bottles, or new bottles. Verse 23, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began. And as they went to pluck the ears of corn, the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do thy disciples, uh, why, 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 why do... Why, let me try that again. Why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye not never read what David did when he, he had need and was hungered, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the, in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat but for the priests, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not the man, or not man, for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Lord, or the Son of Man, is Lord also of the Sabbath. <clears throat> Two things. That was a tremendous task for me. I know, I know you don't think it is, but it is. As I get older, and this is the second thing, as I get older and I realize that uh, when it comes to God's Word, the best thing you can do is to read it. <laughs> no, no commentary. Uh, praise the Lord. And uh, uh, it, and I only say that because as you begin to read it, the Lord does the teaching. The Lord does the building up. 
I know that we have good commentaries and good preachers and, and good help. May the Lord give you grace to read his word and, and just go with the flow. The writers are absolutely brilliant. Uh, some, some I've already said, if, if you, when reading it, if you didn't know any better, you almost think the book was inspired. Yeah, uh, It's beautiful. From, it's the way it's penned. And it's, the Gospels, are, I remind you, are four. And so a lot of, there's a lot of similarities between the Gospels. But the flow and, and the, the character of the writer, the personality of the person who was chosen to write the book, is, it's, it's utterly amazing. This book is saturated with work. This is the working man's book, the working woman's book. A book in which there's easily found no time to do anything <laughs> because there's something to always to be done. You're always busy. And so you'll read the word and and immediately and therefore and you'll keep going. And the, the writer wants to stop and take a breath, but he can't. There's no time for that. We've got to keep moving. We've got to keep penning. The life of the Lord Jesus was very, very short. And yet he did so much. And so just in case you ever find yourself a little overwhelmed because of life, May you take comfort in a book like this that will remind you that the Lord himself was utterly busy, very busy, and it's incredible what he was busy about. The story ahead of us is very, very popular, and you can see why. But let's look at how it starts. And again, he was at Capernaum. Capernaum is where the Lord resided after he left Nazareth. He did a lot of his time there, which is amazing. I don't know what you would have thought, but the Lord being on the scene anywhere would have been nice, maybe to go visit him, you know, down in Jerusalem or something like that, or maybe to make a family trip, not so much to Disney or anything like that, but to go see the Savior, to go see the Lord Jesus and see what he had to say. But it would be something else for the Lord to be your neighbor and to perform miracles and to teach. Well, that's exactly what he did at Capernaum. Except I want to remind you, unfortunately, that the Capernaum didn't get the grade level that you think they, they would have gotten. They actually had the Lord in their midst, and it wasn't good enough for them. The excitement that he brought in doing his gifts, his miracles, and the, the healing of the sick. And a lot of that stuff was done in Capernaum. And they didn't hear broken and, and, and nervous preaching uh, from the pulpit here at Boulevard. They heard the mouthpiece from heaven. They heard the Lord himself. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 11, please. And I want you to see what happened there. It's not, much, it's not very good, but if you know where I'm going, look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 23. And thou Capernaum, <laughs> the Lord is talking about them now. And he has something to say to them. He says, which are exalted unto the heavens shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done where? Been done in Sodom. You don't have to read your Bible very long to encounter the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Actually, you could be in, in school and have heard that term, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's usually correlated. It's attached with evil. You tell me what was going on there. Some people say it's exactly what's going on today in our streets. But they had the Lord there. <laughs> and the Lord was preaching and the Lord was doing miracles. And it didn't work there. They loved good preaching and they loved good teaching. And they liked the miracle here and there. They're fascinated at that. But it wasn't good enough for them. It says this, For it had been done in Sodom, they would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. It's an interesting thing how men and women love to hear good preaching. They might even like listening to the Bible every now and then. Uh, but it, they don't allow it to sink in. You see, you remember a Herod. He liked to hear John the Baptist. That's what he said. He said he liked good preaching. I enjoyed it. But as far as committing to it, well, that's another story. Living for it, now, let's not bring that up. But I do entertain the idea of listening to a good Bible preacher here and there. And so he did until he cut John the Baptist's head off. 
And then the voice would say nothing else. I want you to know that a couple of chapters later, the Lord Jesus would mosey back in town. And this man, I see, popped up and he said, that's got to be John. He's come back from the dead. And he says, bring him to me. I want to hear some, I have some questions for him. And the Lord Jesus stood in his midst. You know how many words he said to him? None. None. He answered them none. This is the appointed time. You got to let these words sink in now. And you got to let your understanding not be a hiccup for not picking up the Bible. You need to get into it now. Capernaum. Many things were done there. Well, not everybody thought that way. A lot of people thought that the Lord Jesus was the only answer. And indeed he is the only answer. They had a friend. He had a problem. And they figured the only thing that they can do was get our friend to him. Except one thing stood in their way. And many a gospel preacher has mentioned this before. What stood in their way? The The crowd. (laughs) Could you believe that? The crowd is always going to stand in the way. That's the funny thing about life. Everything is okay. You want to get your own business? That's fascinating. Everybody helps you. You want to go to school? Everybody loves that. They promote that. You can't go to sleep at night because you're studying for exams? You do it. You start doing things for the Lord. Don't be a fanatic. Don't commit that much time to it. It's absurd. It's interesting how people have that in their minds and in their heads that committing to things of the Lord is somehow different than everything else in the world. Well, the crowds are going to stand in the way. Funny thing is, there are friends that don't care about crowds. And they do what they got to do to bring their friend to the Lord. Because if you feel in your heart that the most important thing in this life is the Lord Jesus Christ, then you tell me what crowd you're going to let get in your way. When it comes to your life, you didn't let a crowd get in there, did you? Because many of us here, I can tell by the room, are born again. You didn't let anything get in your way. Well, if you have friends and family, well, guess what? It's time for them to know about the Lord Jesus Christ and to commit to him. Don't let the crowds get in the way. These men did something that I still cannot put my mind over. Because as good as a preacher as you might have here at Boulevard Bible Chapel, uh, and not today, but I'm just saying hypothetically, you might have a good one. (laughs) It would be something, wouldn't it? If all of a sudden, pieces of the roof start coming off, and you would be... (laughs) You would be, you would be some, something, something else to not get distracted by a roof being removed, yeah? That's, that's an interesting thing to me. The chapter before lets us know that, that when it comes to the Lord Jesus' preaching, it was a packed house. They had so much trouble every time he preached that they, an, a viable option was to take a boat, let the Lord Jesus go a couple feet out into the water, and bring the crowds in as much as they can. Because they, they would crowd him, they would push him, they wouldn't even let him speak. That, so they needed to be, get creative. Could you imagine what that house was like? Not a room, not a... Somebody put out invitations. They put too many. There was too many people there. They had a problem. The house wasn't big enough. And so the Lord Jesus couldn't preach. I mean, if he would preach, you could imagine how crowded and how many people were there. And you know how people get easily distracted. All of a sudden, this roof starts coming open. Look at verse 4. And when they come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof... Where, where, where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let him down in, in the bed, wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Nothing was going to get out of their way. And I, I just, I'm, I'm going to let you just enjoy that for a moment. Because here there was these friends, and they did something miraculous. They had a buddy in need. Trust me, when it comes to these New Testament writings, you can, you can tell that they do exactly what you and I do. We try everything else first. And then if that doesn't work, then our, we kick in our prayer life. Trust me, it, it's a sad reality. But that's what men and women do. They try everything else first. These men had tried everything. Trust me. 
Nobody wants to be sick of the palsy. Everyone wants to walk. Everyone wants to be well. They had nowhere else to turn. And they had to come to grips with that. There was nowhere else to turn. So they come to the Lord Jesus. But the crowd stands in the way. They break the roof. They lower the, his partner in. It's miraculous. The persistence of faith here. And let me tell you that I, when, I, when I look at the very ver- next verse, verse 5, it says this. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the man sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. When he saw their faith. So that makes me believe that what the Lord Jesus was making, uh, observation, not just of the sick of the palsy, but of them as a whole, the four or five of them, five of them. That's interesting to me. Because you look at it here. The sick, uh, he says, he goes, thy sins be forgiven you. And I'm going to just slow down because I want to get my thoughts together. When you look at something like that, and you look at the man's condition, I, I know that he probably couldn't have put up a fight. But he had to be on board, didn't he? He had to be on board for somebody to say, hey, this is, this is the plan. We're going to get you to the Lord Jesus, but we're going to use a, a rather unusual method to get you there. He had to be on board for something like that, yeah? And then when the Lord Jesus looks at those men, I, I'm fascinated. He, looks at, he says, thy sins be forgiven you. And I look at it and I said, I know what everybody else in the room is thinking because we always think we have it all figured out. They looked at the man of the sick of the palsy and they thought right away, just like you and I, most likely, the only thing that man wants is to be well. That's it. Because that's all life is about. Being healthy, being strong, and going out into that big bad world and making a name for yourself. That's all everybody ever wants. And when you look at somebody who's handicapped or ill, all of a sudden you're saying, the only thing that they ever want, that's the only thing they ever want, is to be well, to be right. So they can do the normal things that normal people do every day. Well, guess what? The Lord was bigger than that. And it's interesting because the Lord reads the man's heart. And he looks at him. And his condition wasn't the most important condition that he had at that very moment. Wasn't his physical condition. The man struggled with the fact that he wasn't right with God. And so even though you might have looked at him and said, yeah, look, he's a, just a cripple with poor him, this and that. He himself was convicted that he wasn't right with God. And the Lord wastes absolutely no time in addressing the problem. He says, my man, thy sins be forgiven you. And I'll tell you right now, if the Lord would have stopped right there, that still would have been the best day in the man's life. Because, yeah, he might not have been well, but the biggest problem in his life was now gone. Brothers and sisters, if all you're looking for in this life, friends, excuse me, if all you're looking for in this life is to be healthy, strong, and just be another number out there, then you haven't experienced the best day of your life yet. <laughs> it is amazing what the Lord Jesus can do and does in the life of a sinner. And then these men come here and they do that, and, 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 and he addresses the problem, but not everybody was happy with that. I find it fascinating in, in this book alone and in other books of John how much other people can care less about others. It's, 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 it's incredible. Look what happens. Understand what I'm trying to say. Verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And this book, along with the book of John, is going to reveal to you the ugly character of men and women. And you might think that this is only true in the day that you live in. Unfortunately, it was very much alive in the day that the Lord Jesus was around. Men by nature are skeptics. They don't want good things. They don't, they, they, we doubt first. And then, you know, we, when we take things in, we, we commit ourselves. You agree? Okay, good. 
I, at least I find myself to be that way. And you know, when you come to the, the God of the Bible, he absolutely has to put to rest the skepticism. It's important. Because I don't, as I look around the room, I have the luxury to say that many of the kids are in the back. So you're thinking with your adult mind over these things. And if your adult mind has questions and concerns that God is hoping that you would just, I hope he doesn't ask that question. Or I hope he, she doesn't really bring that up. I don't really have an answer for that. If God is like that, then I guarantee you that today might be the last day that you do this. Yeah. Ten years from now, you might not be here because of all the doubt that creeps in. If God isn't big enough to answer those doubts, yeah, that's a big problem. I'll leave that there because these men started reasoning in their minds. That part of it is not wrong. Reasoning in your mind is not, is not wrong. But when the Lord gives you an answer to think about and to believe in, and you deny that, then it's wrong. Look what these men do. They look at it and they say this. This is a cop-out. What the Lord Jesus did is a cop-out. And I'll tell you why they thought that. Because what does it cost to say Thy sins be forgiven you. You see, I can look at anybody in this room right now, and I can say that. Your sins are forgiven you. What changed in that individual? Nothing. They still look the same. They still act the same. Nothing's changed. And so when they saw the Lord Jesus say that, they started saying to themselves, you see, he's trying to hide. And he doesn't want to show us any power because what they would want to see is because, you know what they see? God can do miracles. If he can come back and start walking like a normal man, then that's God. But to say your sins are forgiven you, that's taking plan B, and nobody can really show the evidence in that. Okay? They were right halfway, weren't they? Only God can forgive sins. Because remember, all sin that's ever done, even though I might be affected by it, or you might have affected other people, ultimately, Scripture tells us that all sin is against who? God. So to say your sins are forgiven you, whose spot are you taking? He's sliding into a position that only God can do and say. Is that clear? To say that you, if you sinned against me, I might be affected. Yes, that's true. But ultimately, all sin is against God. And so the Lord Jesus, as a young man in his 30s, I remind you, put yourself there. Where, where there was people way older than the Lord Jesus there. Who had been in the, in the scribe and in the Pharisee game for a very, very long time. Very religious, very upright. Now they're hearing this young man say that he can forgive sins. <laughs> Got to be careful saying things like that. Unless you are who you say you are, right? Okay, so they're reasoning in their mind saying, who can forgive sins but God? And they're right. No one can forgive sins but God. But this is where they were wrong. In the sense of that they didn't believe who he was. And verse 8 says, And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, he said to them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? He's about to show them that he is God. And not only by forgiving sins, but by reading the intents of the mind and heart. You see, in Jeremiah, it reminds us that God reads the intents of the heart, or the thoughts of the heart. And now, I don't know what you think about that in particular. I would find that rather uncomfortable in any stage of my life in the heat of the moment, for somebody to know what I'm thinking would be a very dangerous thing. Some people are fascinated by it, right? They'll tell you, close your eyes, you know, think of a number, and then when they guess it, you're like, oh, how'd you do that? That was great. You know, it's good. 
But for somebody to know the thoughts of your heart and mind and say, these men were saying that in their hearts. They were thinking that in themselves. And then the Lord Jesus, as if he picks up on the conversation that they were having with themselves, he picks it up. He says this, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Verse eight, verse nine, whether it's easy to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee or to arise, take up thy bed and walk. I would be, I would be utterly taken aback. If I was thinking something in my mind and you picked up on it and all of a sudden started conversing with me as if I had said that out loud. Do you understand how uncomfortable that would be? That's exactly what was happening here. The Lord Jesus was showing himself to be the, 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 the readers of their hearts and minds. Explore, exp, 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 exp. He's putting out there exactly what they're thinking. It's, it's fascinating. And then he says this. Listen, you, you, find, you find a difficulty in what I've done. Saying that thy sins be forgiven you. Why? Because you think it's easier for me to raise, uh, to say that than to raise somebody up from being in a sick bed. But most of them said yes. It's very easy to say thy sins be forgiven you, but it'd be quite different if somebody got up that was physically sick and in their presence got up. That, yeah, basically that was an easy answer. Well, he says this. I say unto thee, verse 11, arise, take up thy bed and, and go to thine house. And right before them all, he shows the ability to raise the man up from his bed, his deathbed, or, you know, sickbed at least. It would be eventually his deathbed. That's amazing to me. Because now he shows himself that, you know, there's no excuse. There's, no, there's nothing else for them to say, right? If he can do that, then he has to be who he claims to be. The funny thing is, I, I look at this now, and in verse, verse 12, enough about them. Look at what happens to this man. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch as they were amazed. And look what they said. And they glor- and glorified God. We had never seen it like this. Never seen it in this fashion. So this kind of thing never really happened frequently. So they were impressed. They were amazed. They stood in belief. See, that, that's the issue. When God comes unto the, to these, these men and women, He doesn't come at a distance from the mountaintops of heaven. He came to where they were, and He reasoned with them. They had genuine issues with what He was saying. And he's saying, listen, I have trouble you saying sins being forgiven. What of it? And he says, listen, let me show you. Let me tell you that I am the son of God and I could forgive sins. But if you want me to make this person well, that it might be an evidence for you, then I will do it. And that's exactly what he did. He gave them evidence because the Christian walk is not a shot in the dark. It is evidence based. And I'll leave that at that. The wonder of this man taking up his bed is fascinating to me. But notice the order. He was forgiven first. And then he took up his bed and he walked. In the world that we live in, so much you do for yourself. When it comes to God, you don't do that. You don't take that approach at all. You don't walk first. Get your life right first. And then come to God. Well, you know, when you just need a little bit of help. And then I come to God and he does the rest. That's not how it works. The order is fascinating to me that he is forgiven And then he shows the ability to walk. What mastered him all his life? That mattress. It didn't matter what he said. It didn't matter what he did. It didn't matter how much strength or how many, uh, what what Wheaties he ate that morning. It didn't matter. The bed was going to be where he was going to lie. He had no strength, no power over it. But then he comes in contact with the Savior. And the Lord Jesus says, now you take that bed and you walk. And in the presence of who did he do that? Of all. It's a healthy thing as a believer, not only to say that I am a believer, 
but that I walk as a believer. You understand how valuable that is? That is evidence of the fact that you are born again as a believer, right? I'm not ignoring this side of the room. Uh, That's evidence. To say that you're a believer and do nothing that a believer does doesn't add up. Now, does it? If you are truly forgiven this morning, you need to show that walk. It is an evidence to one another that you are doing what uh, what Colossians chapter 1 says, walking worthy of the name of the Lord Jesus. The things that you do are important. But notice the order. I'm not here sitting saying, get your life right, and then maybe when you're good or quite good, Jesus will accept you, the Lord Jesus. That's not what I'm, I'm not asking you to do that at all. I'm asking you to come to him right now as you are, and he will give you the ability to walk. (laughs) That's an interesting thing. I don't know how they get it confused in this ugly world that we live in, but they do. Don't let that creep in in your life. It's absolutely important to walk for his better glory. The things you do matter if you name the name of Christ. And it's a testimony for me and for you. That every day is an opportunity. We are, we, we are called upon to show that evidence of our walk and our commitment to the Lord. Not just to mouth piece it out. And with that said, how does it flow? Look at, look at the transition. And I know so much more can be said on that. But look at the transition of verse 13. Who does he bring up? He brings up the tax collector. He brings up Matthew. And I want you to know in the book of Matthew, Matthew as his own writer puts himself right smack in the middle of the book. And he does it so that you can realize that he was at a point in his life where I just want you to know, it doesn't say anywhere that Matthew was hurting financially or physically or anything of that nature. It doesn't show that to us. But the life of the tax collector was a very lonely life. Because these people had to turn their backs on their families, on their friends, on their own to serve the Roman Empire. And on top of that, to make matters worse, as if dealing with money wasn't bad enough already, to, to get their well-being, to get their money, what they had to do was exploit you out of your own taxes. So they had to pay Rome. And then whatever extra they charge would fill their pockets. How many times do you think people would call those tax collectors up to hang out on a Friday night? How many times do you think they were invited over for dinner? Never. Nobody wants tax collectors around. They were low. They were hated. And then the Lord Jesus makes time for one of them. But he makes time for another one. I, I, I know you know who it is. That's good. But he, in this case, he makes time for Matthew. You see, Matthew was in a position right now, very lonely, very depressed, and as you can imagine, thinking, because the conscience still works in men and women. They know they're not right with God. They know that there's something missing in their lives. And Matthew needed help, but who was he going to call? He had burned every bridge. No family member wanted to pick up the phone. There's no one to turn to. His lifestyle had become a disaster. You just don't make it right by saying you're sorry in that case. Many people are like, who cares you're sorry? You're living the life of the rich and famous. Zacchaeus, just so you know, was a very short man. But he had a humongous bank account. And he did it at the expense of his own people, his own family. You don't pick up the phone and just say you're sorry for something like that. Many people will forgive you. Thank God for grace and for mercy. But things are not okay. Matthew was alone. And then the Lord Jesus comes. The Lord Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew dropped everything as if he was some, something, you know, as if he was abandoning a fire or something. I don't, he just drops everything and he goes to the Lord. 
He didn't sit there and there's no verses committed to an assessment that the man made, you know, financially and, you know, the future of his family. He didn't do any of that. The Lord said, follow me. And he left everything and he left and he went and he's gone. And he knew well, just so you know, that there was no going back. When you left that position as a tax collector, that was it. That's a wrap. You're done. So that means that whatever decision he made to leave, that was it. When's the last time you made a decision like that? That important and didn't give it a handful of verses of time, huh? I'm telling you, sometimes we like to think things through so much. We like to have security blankets all over the place that it prevents us from doing everything for the Lord. We never do anything because we're so worried about the consequences and the repercussions that we need a safety net and we need this. We have to be good stewards. I heard that last night. We have to be good stewards. But if that's going to prevent you from trusting the Lord, then I don't know if I want any of those safety blankets. You need to be challenged in that as believers. You're only going to go as far for the Lord as you're willing to give for Him. Sometimes it takes sacrifices, and it takes foregoing some of these security blankets. And it also forgo- you have to forego the crowd, don't you? Matthew was absolutely prepared to do that with a couple, couple, two or three words. Changed his life forever, though. He hit the Bible. You know that. That's an important book in the world. It's a big book. It's very popular. Some people want to make magazines. I would like to be in the Bible. It'd be nice, huh? To have an article there after your, you know, after a couple chapters after your life. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? He hit the Bible. And then the Lord Jesus says, the only thing you need to take a pen with you because you're going to write one of the books. What a privilege to have his life changed upside down from being a boring tax collector to serving the living God. Having his life radically changed. That's how we sometimes think. The life of the believer, it's so boring. There's not much that's going to be done. There's not too much in it. Yeah, right. The world, the Lord is big. The thing is, we underestimate him. We cut him down to, well, the life of the believer is this. This is all it is. That's all it ever be. Matthew got to write a book. That's, That's impressive. That is impressive. That being said, I want to make a comment as well as verse 15 and 16. Who do you think the Lord Jesus was hanging out with? That when they came to him, they actually took, they were insulted that he was with tax collectors and, 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 and publicans and sinners. You know what that meant? That's a riffraff of society. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you've never been there. I kind of feel like for a little bit in my life, I feel like I kind of, I can experience that. Yeah. What it is to be amongst those that as soon as they walk in the room, everybody's, <laughs> you know, that's it. They were looking at those people saying, that's that's the outcast of society. They had a problem with those people. But you know who was saying that? The religious leaders of the day. That's an oxymoron. Right? Am I the only one that thinks that? Doesn't mean that doesn't seem right to me. I represent God, yet I I I can determine who can come to God. Only the good people come to God. Only only the people that are a pleasure to be around. Those are the only ones that come to God. Yeah. Because everybody else is a nuisance. And they took up and the Lord Jesus would have no such thing. He made time to eat with them and sit down with them and get to know something about them just in case you ever find yourself in that place, that position where the, lo- the world is looking at you and say, well, what a mess. And the world does that so quickly. Later on, you'll see in this book, they do it and they do it with such a fire that you realize that you want nothing of this world. They looked at these people and said, they wrote them off. These are the outcasts of society. And they were so written off. They were so in the back of their minds that they had a problem when the Lord Jesus would come and eat with them. Couldn't believe that they would even do that. They looked at the Lord Jesus as a good man, as a good teacher. What's he doing there? And then he does this in verse 19 and 20. He talks about not being able to fast. You know, that's, you know. And what does he make reference to? The bride chamber? 
and the bridegroom. This is the second book, at least in gospel, that in chapter 2, you have a reference to a what? A wedding. (laughs) If I didn't know the Lord any better, I think he's looking forward to a wedding. And in a world that's so full of ugly and bad things and death and, and it just, what do you think our news thrives on? Good news? <laughs> you haven't watched it lately. Thrives on evil and bad and anything that can consume the evil part of our lives. And the Lord Jesus here is talking about the bridegroom. And in chapter two of John, he goes to a wedding. And when's the last time you've been to a wedding? At the most important person, at least one of the most important person in the room was the bride. bride. And in chapter two of John, You tell me what her name is. She's not even mentioned, but the Lord is, and he's looking for a bride. And how does this this magnificent Bible of yours end, by the way? How how does that end? (laughs) With a wedding. Wedding. The Lord's here. He's in the business of changing lives, not for boring and and, and mundane and sadness and sorrow and this, this facade of spiritualness or, or holiness that somehow you have to be lowly and, and down in the dumps. No, no, no. The Lord came for excitement. When's the last time you've been to an exciting wedding? I've been to a handful in my life. Exciting, powerful. Maybe your own is up there. You're thinking yours was good. Good. <laughs> the Lord's in the business about a wedding and he's looking for his bride and there he's, he's collecting who? Matthew, come with me and let's go eat with the outcast of society. Sure, there's a place. For everyone, <laughs> wonderful things. What is the, what the Lord is introducing? And I got time, Jamel. I'm going to do it without going over. Chapter verse 21, 20. I'm not. I'm not going to. This is not exhausted, but at least we're we're, we're, we're just hitting things. And and again, I, I love this setting. I always say at my home chapel, and they get on me too because we at our at our home chapel we have a big pulpit. Nothing wrong with that. I just it's harder to throw things at the preacher when he says things wrong. This is good. <laughs> Somebody says, I say something wrong, you can, you can actually physically stop me. I'm up here, I'm, I'm down here. They're at the same level. So you get to verse 21 and 22. And just so you know, the Lord was in the, wasn't in the business of patching up some old religious system. None of that. Judaism was supposed to uh, show God's people. It was, as I, they, God had to deal with his people as a children. What the Lord was going to introduce is something altogether new. Wonderful. Look at the book. You're going to need the book of Hebrews to help you. You're going on to better promises, a better hope. And it's, a, it's, a, it's not this repeating of, uh, you know, rules and re- religious ceremonies and sacrifices. No, none of that. The Lord Jesus is going to do away all with all that. He's going to do something precious, a new covenant. And I hope you know where it's found. Good. I tell by some of the blank faces that maybe we don't know where the new covenant is found. That's okay. That's in Hebrews chapter 10. That's, that's why they brought me here. Chapter 10. Beautiful. Beautiful. A new covenant, he says. In his blood. And I just want you to remember that one of the terms in that covenant among many is that your sins and your iniquities will he remember no more. And in a world that never forgets anything when it's convenient. I forget things all the time. But not when it's convenient. When it's convenient, my memory is sharp. And I can tell you the moment that it happened. And I, and I even have some notes and some, you know, some uh, those minutes, you know, how we use them in business terms. Yeah, I have those. But when it's convenient, I remember. When I don't, I, I forget. Well, the Lord Jesus is not showing it that somehow he has a lapse of memory or he's getting older in his years. None of that. It's that the sin he has dealt with. And he chooses from now on on a legal basis never to bring them up again. 
You don't have to worry about year number 10,000 in heaven. And all of a sudden, the Lord turning to you and saying, you know what? You're out of here. I, I, I just remembered. I'm, we're going to deal with this sin. We're gonna, you don't have to worry about that. That's, not, that's, that's, a, that's a human fa- failure. That's a human flaw. God has chosen on a legal term because he's dealt with your sin as bad as you were in, in your condition. I hope you do think you were bad. I hope you haven't forgotten the day that you were saved. If you have, it might be a good thing. Lord, renew unto me the joy of thy salvation. Help me to remember where I came from, that I never get puffed up. I never get proud to think that I deserve to stand in your presence. It can happen. It might not happen day one or year one. Or You talk to me 20 years down the road, and you don't think you've, got, you've gotten somewhere. You're elevated. The world appreciates you. You're a somebody out there. But when it comes to God, that's the standard you should be measuring yourself at. Don't forget where you came from. You weren't almost there when it came to glory. He had to help you along the way. And he did that by the means of the cross. And in in closing, verse 23 through 28 talks about the Sabbath. Brothers and sisters, this is absolutely important in this book. In a book where the Lord is never, for the most part, called Lord. Because nobody cares too much about a servant. And if this is written with a strong approach of showing the servanthood of the Lord Jesus as a man here on earth, nobody really uh, inquires of a servant of how their day is going or who they are. Or you notice the the lack of the genealogy, correct? You remember Matthew chapter 1? All those hard Bible names that you can barely get through, but it shows you where the Lord Jesus came from and how important that he's from the line of David. Well, you come to Mark and there's none of that. But 10 verses into this book, and how, what, it, what happens? The heavens open and God himself declares who the Lord Jesus is. He doesn't need men to do it. He doesn't want men to be confused about it either. He opens the very heavens and says, this is my beloved son in whom I have found my delight. That's the Lord Jesus. That's the servant. And so when he looks at it here in this book, you'll see that he isn't called Lord very often. As a matter of fact, we won't debate it right now because I I have no time. But even the reference, I think in chapter 7, it's a different Greek word. We can get into that another time. But I, I believe for the most part, he's never called Lord in this book. But he does call himself Lord. Watch this. And it came to pass, he went through the cornfields and the Sabbath, and his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of the corn. And the Pharisees said unto them, Behold, why do do they on the Sabbath that which is not lawful? Sabbath was made for men, a day again to keep men in check. The Lord was being gracious and in building them up, teaching them how to take care of each other and to make provision for those that were less fortunate, and to take care of the land, and to be good stewards of the things that God had given to them. And so he gave them rest because he himself rested from creation. And so he did certain things like that, and he taught, as a, as a, as a father teaches a son. But they, they, years went by, and more spiritual men and women came along, and they thought they knew better than God, and so they made rule books and rule books and rule books about you know how they added. So what they were talking about here was not the laws of God. They were talking about the traditions of men. you got to be careful saying something like that, because the traditions of men are like this big. They're bigger than God's commands. And so it's impossible not to break them. But the Pharisees were happy when you did, because that would separate you from them. That would make them better than you. That's again, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an incredible position to be in. But look what happens. What they were doing, according to 1 Samuel 
21. You do believe this happened, correct? You do know when this happened. You see, because the Lord Jesus, in everything he ever did, his resource was nothing less than the word of God. He never had to open his own mouth and say fancy words. He used scripture to defend everything he did. Magnificent. And just so that you know, he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy a lot. When's the last time you read Deuteronomy? That being said, what he did was show them an Old Testament example of something that happened with King David. The man was starving. He was on the run. Goes to the priest. Give me the bread. The priest is like, we can't give you the bread. The bread is for us. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not even an option. David said, I don't, give it to me anyways. God was merciful. Gave it to him. And he, had, he gave it to his men and he ate. Right? So he broke that law. But now you see, he said unto them, <coughs> human need was the most important thing. <clears throat> and so the Sabbath was made for human need. They had turned it around and they made it something to, to separate themselves from God's people. I don't even know how this stuff gets approved. How does this even happen? But it did. And so the Sabbath was no longer for their human need. And the Lord has to call them out. And he says this. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not the man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He calls himself Lord. And then, I'll let you know. I know I shouldn't do this, but I went over, so I have to give you something. Uh, seven miracles the Lord does. Guess when he did them? You got it on the Sabbath. He was letting them know that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He was there when it was introduced properly. And he understood the real reason why they were given it. And so every time he did a miracle, he performed it on the Sabbath. That wasn't a mistake. That was to let them know, to remind them, to challenge them that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And for that reason, he came. That, brothers and sisters, is a small overview of Mark chapter 2. But as you can tell, there's so much more there. Let's close the bow our heads and, and, and pray. If there's any concerns, of course, I, I, I know that there's a potential for that. I'm not promising any answers, but there, if there's concerns, we will, we, uh, you know, you can approach me afterwards, hopefully. Father, we thank you for thy love. We thank you for your word. We thank you how it encourages us. It excites us. We, we understand how patient and how gracious thy son was in dealing with these men and women. Some of them got it right away. Other of them had to think it through and, and by thy grace allow your, your spirit to do its work and be patient with them and, and they, they would come around. Our Father, we just pray for this room. So big. We can't help but imagine that there isn't at least one person here who hasn't committed to the Lord Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that because right now, this is the very day that you can commit to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ and we thank you that the door is open for whosoever wills. Father, bless thy word as it went out. Father, give good understanding and encourage the hearts of the saints here at Boulevard. And one more time, we pray for the saints at Hollywood and do ask that you would be the God of comfort to them as they get over this hump uh, of the loss of, of family members of the assembly. Father, bless us, keep us, depart us with thy blessing, we ask in the Savior's name. Amen. Amen.